0: If you'd open your Bibles to the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter six, let's bow in prayer. Lord, as we bow before you this evening, Father, we ask that you would give to each one of us a great hunger for your word. That Father, it would be a a very strong desire to to want to know your word, to want to read your word, to want to have a a deep understanding of your word. We pray, Lord, you give to us a very strong desire to, to want our hearts, to want our minds to be changed by your word. We pray, Lord, that we would want to have our view of life, informed by your word. That, Lord, we would have a great hunger for your wisdom. That, Father, we may know how to live a life that pleases you. That, Father, we may may know how to give advice that honors you. That, Father, we will think properly about life, believing, Lord, that will lead to us acting properly. Knowing, Lord, that living in this way, Father, we will... Bring to us uh, a very deep sense of satisfaction, a deepening joy, uh, a greater love for life and for others. Father, we desire to have the abundant life that Christ has promised, Father, we know that the key to that, or one of the keys to that, is, is your word. And so Father, we open ourselves up to your spirit and to your word and ask that you fill us as always, we do thank you. And we do ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 10. Paul writes, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, to stand. We began to work our way through this several weeks ago and uh, let me just kind of give you a few statements kind of uh, by way of review to kind of catch us up to where we are and what it is that we want to do with this passage. The main thing, as he tells us here, he says, Finally, my brother, be strong in the Lord. Each one of us must live in the power of God's armor. When we talk about God's armor this evening and for the next several weeks, try to keep in mind that we're not talking about something extra in the Christian life that we are to, to kind of add on to our experience as Christians. That really, I guess you could say it's just another metaphor of talking about or maybe describing what it means to abide in Christ. Another way of talking about our union with Christ. So this is all in in kind of in that category. It's just another way of thinking about it, another way of looking at it. And of course, Paul's encouragement here is for us to be strong. He is giving to us a, a, a view or an understanding of, I guess you would say, the essence of what our life is to be like and how we are to understand life despite all the issues that are going on, despite all the things that are happening around us, he wants us to understand that the battle that we are in is one that is truly in every way spiritual. Even the physical persecution that Christians are facing, that has a spiritual root. That is why those things are happening. When we look at the disruption that takes place in the lives of our families through whatever the conflict may happen to be, it is rooted in a in a spiritual issue or spiritual problems. We're not trying to say, I'm not trying to, to, to state that in one sense, oh, everything is spiritual, and somehow we're looking at this in a very narrow-minded way. I am saying that it's all spiritual, but it is but it is not narrow in its view. It's a very broad thing. It's having a proper understanding. Uh a uh, a, view, uh, a view of the foundation of, of how things work and how they're supposed to work and why things happen the way they happen. It'd be kind of like um, if you go to a doctor and let's say you have a lot of different kinds of issues going on in your health. And the doctor says, well, before we can address certain things, I want you to address some of the foundational issues. And for many individuals, the foundational issues is what we eat and how much we eat. And then how much we weigh because of what we eat (laughs) how much we eat. But the idea is, as he says, some of these issues that you have may go away if you take care of this issue first. But if this issue over here isn't taken care of, no matter what we do, we're fighting a losing battle. We're, we're in a sense, fighting a losing battle anyway because your health is already deteriorating and you're getting older. But what's going on over here not is you're not being helpful. And so we need to address these issues and correct these issues. This is foundational. And then when these things are being corrected, and as they're being corrected, then what we do to deal with some of the specific issues you have going on, the treatments would be that much more effective. And often that is the case. Even individuals who have to get something, nowadays it's a simple thing, uh, having a knee replacement. For some individuals, the doctors will say, well, if you lose weight, everything will go better. The surgery will go better. The recovery will go better, and thus you will be much more mobile than you ever imagined. Because all those things are working together. So the idea here then is that we're not trying to pretend that there's all these that all these serious issues that that we face and our friends face that the world is facing are not serious issues, and that somehow we just kind of wave our hand and say, "Well, this just all spiritual and it's all about Jesus in some general way." It is about Jesus and it is spiritual. But again, that's a very broad and Complicated, uh, not one that we can't understand, but a, but complicated issue, and Paul wants us to have a good handle on that, and that's why he's ending with these things. So there again is this injunction that we are to be strong in the Lord. That's how we are going to make it. That's how we're going to see our way through whatever it is that we are facing. He's going to describe or help us to understand how we can be strong in the Lord. And so one of the things that we that I brought up a couple weeks ago which is central to understanding all of this, really is the issue of prayer. So we're not going to go through all those things again that that we said about prayer, but that really is the, the crux of the matter. The way that we're going to be able to apply the armor, the way that we're going to be able to make use of what he's describing, the way we're going to be able to put on these things that Paul wants us to put on is through prayer. The way we're going to be able to Get, get ourselves through these issues and live, live, these way, live in a way that, that's correct or godly is through prayer. There is an absolute dependence that we have upon God. And prayer is, is what's going to be used by God in our lives to get us through these things. And so we, that's why we want to make sure that we never diminish prayer. That's why it is um, telling when individuals say, well, I know that I should pray for But normally, after about five minutes, I just don't know what else to pray for. I've prayed for everything. And that can happen. What that means is, it's not that we have prayed for everything. We're not really praying as we ought to. We need to understand that there is so much to pray for, to pray about. It's not just going into details about things, though that is important. But it is shifting our prayers, so to speak, because oftentimes what happens is, We are overly focused on all of the physical things. And we're not against praying about physical things. They're important. But they're not the most important thing. And we all know that even if we have our health, but that's all that we have, then we don't have much of anything. It is our relationship that we have with Jesus Christ. It is being filled by the Spirit and living by the Spirit and and living in a way that, that honors the Lord, being strong in the Lord, giving us the proper mindset, giving us the wisdom, uh, being able to carry through uh, in life with that wisdom so that we can live it, live fully and, and have the abundant life again that Jesus promised us. So what we need to make sure we, we should remember is that we want to remember to intertwine all these things that Paul is talking about with, with prayer and how we pray for ourselves and how we pray For others, because that's really very important, to pray for each other in this way. And we spent some time before, uh, especially early on when we were going through Ephesians, uh, talking about prayer and the importance of prayer and then the way to pray and and how to uh, look at some of the prayers in the Bible and in particular the prayers of Paul and then glean from them how we can uh, kind of uh, improve our own prayer life and the things that we ask for and the things that we're asking God to do. Again, as he says in verse 10, he says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And we need to make sure that we remember what he's saying here as he writes to these individuals. So how do Christians secure the only power? Because the only power that exists that's sufficient uh, against the odds that we're facing is the power that comes from God. How do we secure that for ourselves? Well, we need to appropriate the weaponry that he's going to talk about, that we kind of touched on just a little bit a couple of weeks ago. But the way that we appropriate that, again, is through prayer. We we put on the armor of God or we take the armor of God. As I said, as we looked at several different definitions, or expanded definitions, trying to get a good handle on what he means when he says, put on the armor of God. Or what does he mean when he says, take on the armor of God? To put on or to take is... It's a welcoming trust. It is receiving what God makes available in grace to be utilized. So we should think of these things, the armor that he's talking about, as those things that are coming from God's good hand because he cares for us. He wants to give us these things so we can use these things because they are for our benefit. That That, that is how we're going to be empowered to live in the way that God wants us to live. When I was... Uh, when I was 30 years old, I was, we were living on the Big Island, I was a chaplain at a couple of facilities there, and um, because of uh, the pastor of our church and some other individuals in the church, I started a new hobby. Cindy was not real happy with it, uh, began to ride dirt bikes. Uh, now, this guy in the church was a very good mechanic, which really came in handy because I tended to destroy dirt bikes. Uh, but it was this man, he had uh, three sons, and then the pastor and myself, and this guy had 10 acres, and except for his house, the whole 10 acres was this, was this course that we would uh, ride on. And I kind of had a habit of pushing it too much. Um, I know that there were several times that if I was not wearing a helmet, uh, I'm not saying I would have died, but there would have been significant injuries, uh, to say the least, But they became so concerned for me that on the third weekend that we went out riding, they brought out the armor. And there is armor that you wear when you ride dirt bikes. I didn't know any of this stuff. I didn't know anything. I'd never ridden a bike before. Uh, I just knew you had to have a helmet. And so they brought out shoulder pads, breastplate, backplate, things for my knees, my shins, my forearms, uh, everything which was great. They gave it to me because they were concerned for me and wanted, to be, wanted me to be protected. Of course, the bad thing is, is then I felt protected, and so I pushed it even more. Um, and uh, my career of riding dirt bikes lasted a year, um, and the last time I rode, I had to set my own shoulder because we were out in the middle of nowhere. And Cindy did call up the pastor and said literally, Bobby can't play anymore. <laughs> and they would never let me ride again <laughs> the pastor said when the wife calls we all know better but nonetheless they gave me armor because of their they they you know they didn't want to see me get hurt and knew that I wasn't going to get hurt so they gave me these things so the idea here is that God is giving us these things for our protection for our good not to take us out of the battle but because he wants us to remain in the battle and to remain engaged but we need these things. But all these things, again, are ways of reminding us that we are living in dependence upon God. We are abiding with Christ because of our union with Christ. We will have the wisdom. We will have the protection that we need to live successfully in the way that God wants us to live. So again, this putting on the armor, is a, it's a welcoming trust. It's receiving what God makes available in grace to be utilized and, of course, that's been the theme throughout, uh, throughout Scripture for God's people that are in conflict. God doesn't take them out of conflict. He prepares them for conflict. Believers are made strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. So as, as part of all this, part of the unified word of God, you take Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20, and I mentioned this before, and you take John 15, and we, we looked particularly at verses 7 and 8, but it's more than that, we saw that there's a, a great deal of repetition between those two things. And so again, in John 15, verses 7 through 8, Jesus says, if you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. So think in terms of the armor of God as being those things that God gives to us to enable us to live the Christian life in the midst of conflict and to produce fruit. Because that's what he desires us to do, is to produce fruit. Normally, when you think of producing fruit, in the scripture, there's a couple of ways to think about it. Number one, sometimes, sometimes individuals talk about uh, when it comes to producing fruit, they, they talk about the fruit of the Spirit. I don't think that too often that's really what it's talking about. That is just a natural, visible manifestation of the Spirit of God maturing the believer. We possess the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, I believe that we possess all of it, but as we continue to mature, the fruit in a sense continues to ripen, and so we manifest more and more of those attributes that are listed when it comes to the fruit of the Spirit. Normally when it t- talks about it, you and I are bearing fruit. The idea is just generally speaking, it is replicating yourself and others. So that is done through two ways, which is through evangelism and also through discipleship. So, it's, So it's not just Uh, an evangelism thing where someone's going to try to make you feel guilty because you haven't led someone to Christ in the past 24 hours. It is all of that. We are to influence other individuals. We are to replicate ourselves in others, which is another way of saying that you you desire to repeat in them or or to produce in them what you know. Share with them what you know. Make them learn what you know. Uh, And in some cases, that may only be a little bit, and that's fine. But you want to replicate yourself in that person and that you may then, in a sense, pass them off to someone else, so to speak, so they can continue to grow. So it does involve the idea of sharing Christ with nonbelievers and bringing people to Christ, but it's also our interaction with all other individuals, with our children We want to replicate ourselves in our children. You want to replicate yourself in your grandchildren. You want to replicate yourself uh, in, in, with your neighbors, with extended family members, people that you know. The idea is to continue to share with them what you know about Christ, which is not just your head knowledge, even though that's included, but it's also as we are living it out. We want to live out the Word of God. Uh, when you look at the Great Commission in, in, uh, at the end of Matthew, he tells us to uh, teach others the Word of God or to teach them the commands. The way that it's phrased at least in the New King James, it says, teaching them to observe. And I like that phrasing because he doesn't just say, teaching them the commands of God. This is not just where you just give an individual a list of commands, and they memorize it, and then once they, they've got it down, you say, great, now you know it. But I believe that when he uses the phrasing, teaching them to observe, that requires you and I incorporating our life in whatever, whatever it is that we're teaching the individual. The idea is that we're teaching them the commands of God, and we are also living out the commands ourselves. We live in obedience, so we're showing them by example, not only how to obey, but that we do obey. Because oftentimes, you may be in a situation where you're not going to be able to show the individual how to obey certain commands, but what you do need to show them is that you do obey the commands. We are submissive to God. I want to be submissive to God. I obey what God says. And that attitude needs to be replicated in that individual because that is often where people fail. There is no one individual, especially new believers, who knows everything that God has commanded. But when we become believers, what we are, in a sense, promising is that we will obey all that God has said. Well, when you first become a believer, you don't really know too much about what God has said. But as we learn the word of God, we then should, without hesitation, oh, God also says to do that? Then I will do it. But that should be the attitude. Sometimes, maybe it's often, but sometimes what happens is, as we grow as believers, we also pick up the attitudes of other believers. And pretty soon we get to a point in our life as believers where we do live in obedience to some things, and the other things we kind of want to think about for a while. It's like we want to vote, and and we hesitate. And we don't want to pass on that attitude to anyone. We don't want to possess that attitude. It doesn't mean that we are mind-numbed robots and that we obey God without thinking. But it does mean that we can obey God without hesitation. God wants us to think through the implications of what he says. But nonetheless, we still obey. So then even if we're going to move into an area, I think, uh, I don't know if you remember this, but when, um, uh, hold on, Uh. David and Natalie, when they were living in Indonesia, There came a point in time several years ago. They were going to move from where they were in Jakarta out to one of the outerlying areas, which meant that they were going to be exposed to a greater chance of getting malaria because they were moving to an area where that was there was there was a high incident rate of that. And who does that? Who purposely moves their family, especially Americans? You know, we we've defeated quite a few diseases. We don't normally look at a map of the world and say, wow, this disease is running crazy. Let's move there. We normally don't do that. We avoid that. When you plan vacations, if there's a, an outbreak of something somewhere, we say, well, okay, we're not going there this year. We're going to go somewhere else. So what David did with his family, they believed with all their heart that this is what the Lord wanted, and so they moved there. And, and I think it was within the first year one of their kids got malaria. But there was no complaints they didn't. I don't think they viewed it as being high risk. They trusted the Lord, and they simply did what the Lord wanted them to do. They they obeyed, and, and there was no hesitation. And there was there's no bitterness. There's no anxiety over that. Uh, they simply followed through, and so they understood the cost. Understanding the risk doesn't mean that you don't follow through or that you don't do these things. You still do them, but you're trusting the Lord. They weren't they weren't being care, careless and throwing out safety. You know, they took all the precautions, but God still wants us there. We're going to have to trust God. And you can read about that throughout history. When you read about the, the, uh, the Black Plague, or the bubonic plague in, in England uh, that took place, you know, hundreds of years ago uh, in many of those villages and towns where the death rates were just unbelievably high uh, as people were running away and trying to find places to live that were safe, it was, it was in most cases Christians who stayed behind, Christians who were willing to get the disease and knowing that they would die because there was no cure and stay to take care of those who were in need. They believed it was their duty as Christians that it gave them opportunities to show the non-believing world that they were not afraid of death. And it is interesting also that a very large number of those individuals who stayed behind to nurse others didn't get sick. They didn't get the plague. I'm sure someone would figure out some medical reason as to why, but I just think the Lord was taking care of them. Uh, but they were doing it for spiritual reasons. So they understood the risk, and, and they stayed anyway because they believed that it was the most honoring thing they could do for the Lord. And so as believers, we, we need to be able to live in that kind of wisdom. How do, you, how do you think through issues like that? Well, you, because of your union with Christ and, and the wisdom we have from God, we, we're going to think in a very different way than the rest of the world. And when those opportunities come, come along, and in some cases, the believers should remain. Maybe in some cases, they should leave. It, it, I guess it depends on what you're doing, what's going on, what you believe God wants you to do, and those things. But again, we want to make sure that, that we recognize what's taking place. So here, the idea is, is that what God desires, that you and I bear much fruit, that we replicate ourselves in others. That's for everyone. That's not just for the pastors. That's not just for missionaries. That's for all believers. Okay, and it's not that you and I can keep a scorecard. because I don't think we'd be able to do a very good job anyway to do it accurately. But the point is is that, we, that that becomes a part of how we are living. And so we do that in a very natural way. And sometimes you may be surprised to find out later that you did have a spiritual impact on the life of an individual because of the interaction with them. But I know that if we're not thinking about that and we're not aware of that, normally there's a chance that we're not going to have that much of a spiritual impact on the individual because it's, we're not praying about, about having an impact on others. So again, this is not, again, it's not an impact that you, that you want the glory of men or the praise of men, but we need, we need to be aware of that so that we don't ignore it, so that we don't slip into just being a nice guy and a nice lady and being moral. I mean, we want to be more than that in the lives of others. Again remember keep in mind that for the non-believers they really are going to go to hell when they die that's a reality and you know those individuals you have interaction with them that should at least bother you some you should have you should have a sense of frustration that you are unable at times to Maybe share the gospel with them as much as you would like to, or or maybe you're frustrated because when you invite them to the church, they just they continue to have no interest. You should experience some frustration. I'm not saying that you should get angry with them. How, why should you get angry with them? They're non-believers. They don't care about the things of God. But that should drive us to our knees to pray more for those individuals, pleading with God to open their eyes to give them understanding. Asking God to help us to find more opportunities, more ways to be able to, if we have to, in bits and pieces, share the gospel with them. uh, To to be willing to take that risk uh, with our friendship with them. Not that we're trying to be obnoxious. We don't want to be obnoxious. But there may be times when, no matter what you do or how you say it, it's going to come across that way. But as the years go by and as everyone gets older, we all know death spares no one. And so the Lord returns that's going to happen and so we should experience that kind of I believe that a little bit of that frustration and then when it comes to other believers we hopefully you can think about at least a handful of individuals who have impacted your life maybe they maybe they weren't necessarily a Bible teacher but that was a strong believer who by the way they lived and by their countenance and, and by their convictions, maybe by even small conversations. They have had a, a direct influence on you and your life. They have helped you to advance in your maturity. Maybe it's for a brief time with certain people. Others, it may have been over a longer period of time because you knew them for a long period of time when you were, when you were younger. But God used them to shape you into a, a more mature, uh, stronger believer. And we can thank God for those individuals and we want to be that for other individuals. But if we're not seeking to put on the armor of God that's, that's not going to happen it's not going to happen by accident uh, it's not going to happen just because we show up uh, the idea is that, that we need to make make that effort again it's not based on human effort it's based on this daily walking with the Lord it's, it's where in a sense you can't help yourself it's not magical it's not that it's kind of you know it's, it's not that you have a halo wherever you go Um, it's not any of those kinds of things but it just becomes a part of who you are as an individual and hopefully you've met believers that are like that and it's not that you're trying to copy them because you want to be who you are god has ordained you and your personality uh, and is going to use you and your personality in the lives of other individuals but we want to make sure that we've given ourselves over to the lord and we do that on a daily basis and that we do so as we pray for god to to grant us the maturity to grant us Uh, the proper mindset as we think through these things. So again, as you think about John chapter 15 in conjunction with Ephesians chapter 6, Jesus has revealed a very close relationship between a word-filled life and a prayer-filled life and its fruitfulness. So that again then is the key, is that we fill our life with both prayer and the word of God. That's why we want to make sure that we're reading the word of God on a daily basis. Just read it just continue to become more and more familiar with it. It doesn't take that much time. Not that we should be time conscious, but that's the country we live in. That's the culture we live in, so we are. And we're always worried about all these things we have to get done. And that's the way that it is. We can't, you know, that's not necessarily sinful. But we do always make time for those things that we find that are important. And, And reading as little as only three chapters a day You'd be amazed at how much of the Word of God you will have read in ten years, because it's the cumulative effect. This is like it is with our meals, All right? We you know we don't we don't starve ourselves and then you know try to catch up in one meal. We just through, through the years we've eaten two or three or four meals a day, and through ten years, you know the nutrition that we that we've absorbed shows because of the health that we have. You know our kids, their their growth. That we see taking place physically as a result of that, and so it's the same kind of idea uh, that we have here. So let me let me pick it up again in verse ten of Ephesians six, and then read it through verse nineteen, and then we will we will move on. So he says this. He says, "Oh mercy." Uh, Sorry. Uh, Finally, my brother, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. Having done all to stand, stand, therefore, having girded your ways with truth, So again, the first thing he talks about here is truth, putting on truth first. And as we said, standing for truth against uh, the falsehoods of the devil, that was where Adam and Eve first failed. And that created an issue for all of mankind. As I mentioned last time, truth was the crux for Jesus in his conflict with the tempter uh, before his public ministry in Matthew 4. Again, truth was the issue when the deceiver captured Ananias and Sapphira uh, in the early church in Acts, 5, in Acts chapter 5. Truth is the point that the unsaved miss when they uh, when they listen to the father of lies. We see that in John chapter 8. Truth is the point in the Christian struggle against the devil and those who peddle his lies. We see that in 1 John chapter 4. So everything in life depends on a basic commitment to God's truth. So the same way that I mentioned this morning that we, want, that we need to be reminded that the gospel message is the message of God. It is from God. It is not something that's just clever. It's not, just, it's not the intellectual way of life. It's not that it's dumb, but it, it is not those things. It's the power of God. In the same way, then, we as individuals, we need to be committed to the truth. To be committed to the truth is to be committed to God's truth because God is the author of truth. And we find that truth in the Bible. And so if we're committed to that, we then are girding ourselves, we are putting on the armor of God, we're putting on that central piece that we need to be able to stand, to be powerful, to be strong in the day when the devil fires his shots at us. We live in a culture that's becoming more and more anti-Christian, not violent, but anti-Christian. They continue to more and more mock Christianity. How do we stand against that? By knowing the truth. That's how we do it. And by being committed to the truth. If an individual fails in in their life as a believer, it's because they failed to follow through on being committed to the truth. They're going to be giving in to the lies, the lies of the world, in whatever form it comes in. They're going to be giving in to that. And we've become very accustomed to that kind of compromise. Uh, to accepting that kind of compromise maybe not necessarily in your life maybe not that often in your life but in Christianity as a whole there's been a greater uh, I guess you would say even a movement to be at ease with compromise in a lot of different ways I was reading uh, the autobiography of a boxer it was just easy reading I was reading the autobiography of a a boxer and uh, he had just become a, a believer. He did not know much of anything about the Bible. This guy knew really nothing at all. And he was married, and he and his wife were having trouble. And he uh, was feeling guilty because he had spent a couple nights with a couple other women, which was kind of a common thing the way his life was lived, but now he was a believer. So he called the only preacher he knew. And the preacher sat down with him, and the preacher said, look, you both have a lot going for you, and then he told the wife to leave the room because he wanted to talk to this man alone, and he told the man this. Whatever you do, just don't bring it home, and everything will be fine. It's shocking, not only that a preacher would do that, anyone calling themselves a Christian, why would you say that? Where does that come from? Well, first of all, it doesn't matter where it comes from because it's wrong in every way. And, and this boxer, who really didn't know much of anything, said he was disappointed. Thank goodness. <laughs> he was disappointed. Of course, his life was still a mess for quite a, few, you know, quite a few number of years. But the point is, is that kind of thing, maybe not to that extreme, that kind of thing takes place. Or a couple of Christian women or a couple of Christian men get together away from the group or whatever and say, Now you know, I know you have problems, but look, just do it this way, just do it that way. And they throw out this humanistic garbage that's out there. And we've kind of become accustomed to that. It's being more and more accepted in in churches as a whole. It just beginning to move downhill and slide just very slowly, almost imperceptibly in in a sense. And we become very comfortable with it. We say, yeah, well, I know they're not doing such and such, but at least they're not doing this. Remember, that sounds like a bunch of inmates. That's what the inmates do. You know, the guy gets arrested for, uh, you know, for, you know, possession of drugs. And he says, yeah, but at least I wasn't selling it to kids. Well, you take the guy who's selling it to kids. It says, well, yeah, I mean, you know, I was selling the kids, but, you know, I wasn't molesting them. I mean, it just, it, they're always looking for someone else who's worse off than they are. And so what what happens is we end up as a whole doing the same kind of thing. That's because we're not committed to the truth. doesn't matter what the reason is. We're not committed to the truth. And because we don't have a deep commitment to the truth, we don't have a deep commitment to righteousness, and therefore we begin to fail. The second piece of armor that he mentions, and I'll just say this quick and then, then I'll close out, is righteousness. And the righteousness of God is often linked with truth in God's word. Righteousness is a matter in which the spirit of truth convicts the unsaved. Remember when you go into into the Gospel of John, chapters 14, 15, and 16, it talks about the work of the spirit. And it says it convicts the world of righteousness. Kind of an odd phrase in a sense, but it convicts the world of righteousness. Convicts the world of what righteousness is. Convicts the world that righteousness is necessary when it comes to pleasing God. Righteousness is the absolute necessary benefit that God has imputed once for all to everyone who believes. It is also the character quality that he continually imparts to us in practical living. So when I become a believer, the righteousness of Christ, the righteousness that he possesses, is imputed to me. We've talked before about the idea that when I die, I'm going to go to heaven because I am dressed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. I have no righteousness of my own. I have none. But I'm dressed in His righteousness, the righteousness of another. And because of that righteousness, I know I'm going to be able to get into heaven. That's a guaranteed fact. But not only that, righteousness is also the the character. It's the quality of character that God expects you and I to possess and to have and to exercise. He continually imparts His righteousness to us in our practical living. So we have no excuse if we're not living in righteousness, that's not really good news for us. Because we're guilty. And so that's why, you know, on Sunday mornings we've incorporated the confession of sin to remind us of this very high, unique standard that God has set. And that God demands that we meet that standard. Knowing that we cannot meet that standard, but He gives to us His righteousness. And He imputes His righteousness to us on a regular basis. Giving us the power, giving us the strength, giving us the desire To live this way. Why? So we can stand in the power of God. So we can withstand the wiles of the devil. So we can live in the wisdom of God. So that we can, what? Replicate ourselves in others. Because apart from the righteousness of God, we are unable to do that. In any way, shape, or form. In fact, I would say that these things we've talked about are more important than you or I even being trained in supposedly how to do that. You may be meeting with an individual who is a younger believer than you, and you might be bumbling through every single conversation you have with that individual. But if you are pursuing these things and you are praying as you ought to pray, you will be successful in replicating yourself in the life of that person. In fact, that individual probably will tell others in years to come, they met with an individual who just always seemed to stutter and stammer, but, and thank goodness for the but, he lived in righteousness, he loved me with the righteousness of Christ, and I saw in him a great desire to pursue righteousness, and my heart was filled with the desire to pursue the righteousness that he possessed. And that's the kind of influence that we want to have on people. But if we're not thinking the way we ought to be thinking, then we're not. And we will be failing in the responsibilities that God has given to us. And in particular, we will not be standing strong, and we will not be producing the fruit that God desires. Let's pray. Father in heaven, again, we thank you for your grace in our life and for your patience. We thank you, Father, for your spirit that strengthens us and empowers us and convicts us. Father, I ask that you would cause us to think about these things often, to think about our lives as believers. I pray, Lord, that you would push us in the direction that we need to be pushed in. That, Father, we would think on a regular basis how we might influence others for Christ. Whether it's a little or a great deal, I pray that you would infuse us with a great hunger to do that, to see your righteousness reproduced in the lives of others, and to be used by you in whatever way you see fit. And Father, for those who even begin to strive to move in that area, I pray that, Lord, that you would multiply their joy, Lord, that you would cause them to have a great awareness of the increasing happiness that is in their life. Thank you, Father, again for being so patient with us. We do ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.